0: Each year, more than 12 million people will hear the same three devastating words, you have cancer. I'm Lee Silverstein, a survivor of pediatric kidney cancer and stage four colon cancer. My amazing wife, Linda, has taught me that we have cancer because every one of us is affected by it in some way. Survivors, family, friends, and medical and support team members. And we all have a story worth telling. Welcome to We Have Cancer. Welcome to episode 96 of We Have Cancer. Thank you so much for joining me this week. Before I get to this week's interview, I want to invite you to stay with us after the interview uh, for a couple of additional interviews. I had the pleasure of attending the Get Your Rear in Gear walk-run event that took place in Orlando and had the uh, privilege of interviewing both the uh, founder and director of the Orlando Get Your Rear in Gear event, Ashley Johnson, as well as Peggy Burgess, Peggy's organization, Center for Change, was the grant recipient uh, from this year's event. So I have the interviews with both Ashley and Peggy coming up after the main interview, as well as this episode's uh, segment of Ask the Doctor with Dr. Tim Cannon. This week's guest is Jessica Busho. You can find Jessica online on Facebook. She's also on Twitter at @tenaciousjess Tenacious Jess and on Instagram at at Tenacious underscore Jess, Jess being spelled with two S's. Jessica was diagnosed at age 33, and we talked a lot about how she has transformed, how she's transformed from living a life governed by fear, and she talked a lot about this, to being in control and taking a more positive uh, approach to her treatment and to life and to her family. Join me now for my interview with Jessica Bushko. Jessica, welcome to the colon cancer podcast. I'm so glad you're joining me this evening. How are you?
1: Hi, Lee, I'm good. How are you?
0: I'm great. You know, I I encourage people almost on every episode that if they know someone who they want to recommend to be a guest on the show to reach out to me, and quite honestly, not a lot of people take me up on that offer, and then I get an email from you, saying, can I nominate myself? (laughs) Yeah, I thought that was great. (laughs) So what what prompted you to reach out to me to want to share your story?
1: I feel like my story is the same as many young people who are diagnosed, but also unique in my approach to my treatment and my persistence in uh, getting where I want to go and where I feel like Cancer is taking me. Um, so, like many young women who were diagnosed, I was diagnosed with stage four cancer, so really advanced disease. After, you know, a few years of telling my doctor, I just don't feel good, and I have stomach pains, and you know, going in for one issue or another, and I had uh, chronic anemia, and lots of issues just going on over time, and they blamed it on things from my menstrual cycle to my uh, long-term vegetarian diet that I've had since I was seven, or being a mom, and lots of things like that, and uh, my symptoms were just ignored, and I just became so tired over time, and I just thought, well, maybe this is just being a mom. You know, you go from having little babies, and you're tired during that and then your kids get older and my exhaustion just never faded and it got stronger. And, you know, I was taking more iron because I couldn't fend off the anemia. So, you know, as we finally found out about my cancer diagnosis, it was a little bit of a relief because I realized there was a reason and I wasn't just going to be this tired for the rest of my life. Uh, Chemo makes me tired, (laughs) but, but I don't have to be, feel like that between chemo cycles, you know, and I've been using this time in my life to really change my attitude about everything. Um, I was a positive person to begin with, but I also had a lot of, uh, fear driven, uh, motivation in my life. So I'm moving away from that and towards a whole healing process.
2: Talk
0: about that transformation. What does that look like? How is that, uh, presented itself for you
1: yeah so when I was diagnosed right away people recommend a lot of uh, books or alternative things or they tell you things that they know that people in their family or their friends have done and one book that several people recommended to me was oh dr. Turner's book now <laughs> I'm gonna forget the name of it of course because chemo brain does that to you Um. Anyway, Dr. Kelly Turner's book, and it it was, oh, it's called Radical Remission. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of that, but it's about nine commonalities that people who have sort of miraculous or radical remission have. She found many more than nine, but these were the nine most common. And one, and so I read the book, and one thing that stood out to me was that only I think two or three of the things that you can do are actually physical. The rest of them have a lot to do with your mindset. And there was a story in there that really struck out with me about a guy who played the cello. And he would play the cello at a certain frequency. And that frequency he felt was, you know, vibrating the cancer away. And I can't remember what kind of cancer he had, but eventually he had a sort of radical remission and um it had to do with you know energy in the body and energy around you and there's something about the vibration of the cello for him and that seemed so interesting and fascinating to me so i looked into sort of the background of that of energy storage in the body and what's colon and what's lungs which is where i had my metastases and the colon is Energy surrounding control and uh, fear and letting things go. And the lungs is uh, energy around sadness. So I thought to myself, okay, what in my life, where are are those energies? And do I have a lot of them? And I really thought about an incident that I had about eight years ago when my youngest son was um, a baby. And we were in a car accident. And after that car accident, I started just becoming a really fear-driven person. And um, I would decide not to do things because they were too dangerous or miss out on opportunities because there was a possibility that someone could get hurt or lost or injured, you know? And I think it's easy to fall into this like obsessive pattern about fear. And then as far as sadness goes, um, the last couple years, I have had sadness in my life because I lost my grandmother, who I was so close with. Um, But instead of being able to process it like I would most deaths, I just became obsessed with everything was about her. Everything was a sign of her and I couldn't move on. So this fear and sadness was really guiding most of my days. And I was still able to go out and do things luckily. And, you know, for the most part, I've always been a really positive person, but I was really making choices based on fear and sadness in my life a lot. So when I read that, that, you know, there's this belief that energy held in your colon and energy held in your lungs leads to disease or, you know, is disease of fear and sadness, I thought, Mm -hmm. whoa, (laughs) this is completely speaking to me. It's time to snap out of it. And that's when I started being motivated by love and passion instead of fear.
0: So how how do people close to you, Jessica, how do they, what do they see different about you now?
1: Well, honestly, I think, acquaintances around me think i seem pretty much the same i'm still a smiley bubbly person like i always have been um but the people closest to me see me saying yes to things actually my one of my good girlfriends calls me yesica now Jessica. <laughs> as a joke because, that. <laughs> yes because yes because because i would say no to things before i just I either was too busy or didn't have the time or didn't want to or you know was paralyzed by fear and couldn't take an opportunity. So my friends have noticed me saying yes to opportunities that I would have declined before. And it's been amazing because I'm living now. And there's a lot of things that haven't changed, but my motivation is different. For example, um, when you're a fear driven person, you can become obsessive about things. And something that I became obsessive about was uh, my middle son has food sensitivities and I became obsessive about his diet to the point where
0: mm-hmm.
1: we would go to someone's house and I would rather us not eat than eat food that I wasn't controlling. Right. Because I was afraid that it would make him sick or it would make us sick, which is ironic, you know, because I ended up (laughs) with colon cancer after trying so hard to control my food all the time. Right. So now I still make healthy food choices, but I'm doing it because I love my family and I love food and I love the environment and I want to, you know, eat real food and eat organic food and eat whole foods and things like that, that instead of being afraid to eat things that were bad for me, I'm just putting positive energy into eating things that are good for me.
0: How did you or why did you become a vegetarian when you were a little girl?
1: Um, I actually grew up on a ranch uh, in beautiful Northern California. And uh, my parents were sort of homesteaders you know, before homesteading a big movement now, again, in uh, the West kind of. And my parents were doing it uh, a while ago, even before it became popular. So we raised our own food there and I could get behind raising the vegetables and eating the vegetables, but I could never get behind raising the animals and eating them. So I chose to become a vegetarian. And I don't know If my parents really thought it would stick in the beginning, but as time went on, I stuck with it. And I really love a plant based diet. I think um, it makes me feel best when I'm eating like that. And I can see there's so many nutrients and good things that you can get from food. And um, I've never had a problem getting enough protein or anything like that. I did think I had a problem getting iron for a long time, but now I know that that was actually because of my uh, colon tumor was actually causing slow bleeding that i didn't know about but other than that i haven't had any real nutrition problems and i i really attribute that to having a plant-based diet
0: so how long were you, had you been going to the doctor and having your symptoms be dismissed jessica
1: well um i became anemic uh, very young age, I was twelve years old, the very first time I had anemia, and uh I managed to remain sort of borderline anemic all the way through my twenties and I had three kids from the age of twenty three to twenty seven um, and I just maintained borderline anemia and then um my anemia slowly started getting worse around the time I was. Uh, 30 or 31 years old, and around that time, I just felt like everything upset my stomach. And this was about four years ago when gluten intolerance was kind of a hot button item, right? You know, a lot of people are talking about it, and we were going through my son getting diagnosed with his food intolerances. So I thought, you know what, I bet I have a gluten sensitivity. So I tried. Cutting gluten out of my diet, and I actually cut out dairy as well. And I felt so much better. Um, and I talked to one of my friends one day and I said, I think I should have a colonoscopy and find out if I actually have celiac. And she was like, Oh no, colonoscopies are horrible. My husband had to have one and you would hate it. It's it's just an awful thing. So honestly, at that step, I just didn't pursue it any further. My doctor knew. That I didn't feel great. And um, you know, we just kind of let it go on. Then one time I was out for a run. I've been an avid runner for most of my life. And I collapsed when I was running. Mm. And I it was strange. I didn't fall. I just collapsed. I didn't lose consciousness. I just fell. And um I was with my son, he was on his bike. And the adrenaline made me get back up and get going because I had to go catch my little three-year-old who's on his balance bike running ahead of me. And uh, I just didn't think much about it right away. And then I was talking to my husband later and kind of going through it. And I was like, I think I should go to the doctor and just see, make sure everything's okay. So I went and that's when we really noticed that my... Anemia was getting more severe. So that was about two years ago. Well, two years prior to my diagnosis, actually. And so she said, you know what? Just, this is my doctor, just take a little more iron. You're probably just not getting enough in your diet or it's not getting absorbed, but everything else looks good. And, you know, so I increased my iron and went on my merry way. So about 18 months went by and I just, kept getting more tired. And so I saw her again. And same thing. She said, just take more iron. You're just not getting enough in your diet. It's probably because of your menstrual cycle or because of your diet. And and she sent me along again. And then about three months before I was diagnosed, I went to her again because I had severe stomach pain. Just just horrible, excruciating pain. And I'm I have a pretty high Tolerance. Um, so it was, it had to be bad enough to send me to the doctor. And I went in to go see her, and um, she sent me for an ultrasound. And they didn't see anything on the ultrasound, and she sent me for labs, which I um, now know that she tested my colon cancer tumor markers that people have in their blood, the CEA. And I wish that she had mentioned to me that that was something that she thought might be a possibility. She didn't tell me, and um, I didn't know to look for it. But as it turned out later, we found out that I'm not a CEA tumor marker expressor. So that showed negative.
0: Yeah, Um, neither neither am I.
1: I think that's pretty common. So I don't think it's a great screener. I've read that only like 50% of people express that. Um, blood marker. So this was, you know, I was in the stomach pain for about six weeks at this point, and um, just feeling so dog tired. And I said, you know what, I'm going to go off of my iron. We need to find out what my what my blood is really like without all these supplements. At this point, I was taking six times the recommended amount of iron that you're supposed to take, with of course the advice of my current physician. And so I went off of my iron. And right around that time, my son got really sick with a rare syndrome that uh, is called HSP. And um, it's just, he had a type of vasculitis where capillaries in the lower half of his body would randomly rupture. So he had like excruciating swelling and. Red spots all over his legs. And we went to the emergency room several times over the next month. And then he ended up not being able to walk for two weeks. He had to miss a bunch of school. And of course, at this time, I'm feeling so tired, but just thinking it's because I'm taking care of Connor all this time. I got to take care of him. And I'm just tired from taking care of him. So, you know, of course, I again ignored my symptoms. So that went on with him for about four weeks and finally uh he felt well enough and we went our family actually went away to go camping in um, death valley and while we were in death valley we went on a hike and i remember saying to my husband something is not right i can't walk without getting winded i can't do anything i was drinking a ton of electrolyte because i thought i must be dehydrated or something I just feel terrible, and we just said, okay, as soon as we get back, I'm going to go get labs done. I've been off of iron for well over a month now. We need to go figure out what's going on.
0: I often see people posting in the various Facebook groups talking about their struggle to stay hydrated, and if that applies to you, you should check out H2ORS. H2ORS is an oral rehydration solution. It's a medically accepted alternative to IV hydration. So for those of you who are struggling With this issue of staying hydrated, either due to an ostomy or perhaps chemotherapy, H2ORS is something for you to consider. It'll really help replenish your fluids and electrolyte levels. As a matter of fact, it has three times the electrolytes of most of the popular sports drinks without the excess sugar, artificial flavors, or artificial colors. My buddy Chris Shaw over at H2ORS is offering listeners of the podcast an opportunity to try a free sample of H2ORS. All you need to do is just go to their site, h2ors.com forward slash sample, and they'll ship a free sample out to you, no strings attached. And when you're ready to make your first purchase at h2ors.com, if you use the coupon code C-C-P-O-D, they'll give you 10% off your first order. Be sure to stick around at the end of this interview for our new Ask the Doctor segment and to learn how you can get your rear in gear.
1: So we got home from the camping trip and I went to go get the labs ordered by my doctor and um that night I got like an emergency phone call in the middle of the night saying you're in pre-heart failure you have dangerously low iron levels you're very close to you know this being a fatal incident my iron or my hemoglobin levels were only a 5.7 wow um and of course me being me I'm a mom I'm tough I (laughs) have a high tolerance for pain or discomfort or something I my husband looks at me and he's like you want me to take you and I was like no it's fine I'll just go I'm just going to go drive myself to the emergency room and get a blood transfusion, right? (laughs) Because that's my attitude about life. So I went in that day and um, had to have a blood transfusion because what they said was right. My blood levels were dangerously low. And uh, I had the good fortune of meeting a new primary care physician that day. And one that said, this is not okay. You would not be this low without there being some place in your body that is bleeding. There's somewhere. And he said, we need to get a colonoscopy ordered right away. So I went home that day with a referral to GI and, you know, got on the phone with them when I got home and they said, oh, it sounds like, again, same story. It sounds like it's just your menstrual cycle or it sounds like it's your diet. And they again blew me off and they said we'll see you for a colonoscopy in two months and I thought okay sounds good no big deal so about a week goes by and I'm having chest pressure and I just felt again terrible so this new primary care doctor who I I had just met is unbelievable says this is not right go get an EKG he sent me for an EKG and I went in and They saw a little new arrhythmia on my heart that shows that I was in like a a bigger heart failure pattern. And so he said, you know, maybe you have a pulmonary embolism that's causing this pressure and this irregularity. Let's go get a CT. And I go for a chest CT. And that that was it. That was the day that changed everything. They they called me and they said right after the CT, we don't know where your cancer started but you have metastatic or stage 4 cancer in your lungs and there's a lot of it. So that sped things up a little bit. Then I got my colonoscopy right away and they found the the colon tumor just 4 days after my initial chest dp Things went nice and fast at that point.
0: So you get this diagno- you get this diagnosis, Jessica. You you mentioned earlier about feeling relieved and all that you've been doing post-diagnosis uh, to stay positive, how were you not incredibly angry about, you know, looking back and being, you know, having these symptoms ignored for so long?
1: Yeah, that's a good point. I think if I spent any energy or time on feeling angry about my symptoms being ignored, I wouldn't have time to do the things that I want to do right now, which is focus on getting better, heal my body, you know, heal the the energy, the negative energy that's been held in for so long and physically heal by chemo and surgery and all that good stuff. And to spend time with my family, right? So the relief came from knowing that there was an end to not knowing why I felt bad. Because not knowing why you feel terrible from the collapse years before, to the stomach pain, to being exhausted and not being able to go on a hike with my kids, all that stuff was coming to an end because now I knew what was happening and I could do something about it. And that's really my attitude about life. And uh, I have heard it from my friends before that I'm kind of one of those people that is good in a crisis, right? It's, okay, here's our challenge here's what's going on. Now, what are we going to do to fix it? I don't spend a lot of time, you know, feeling bad for myself or saying, worrying about the what ifs. I just am ready to face this thing head on. And that's what I felt like I needed to do at that point. Within 20 days, I had two CTs, had a colonoscopy, had a biopsy, had my port placed and started chemo. In twenty days, when I first got diagnosed, and I was extremely persistent that things moved along quickly. in fact, um I was so persistent with the court placement uh, scheduling nurse that she knew me by name and came to visit me when I finally got in for my appointment because I called her every day to ask for a cancellation appointment, and uh, we got to know each other really well because I just felt like, okay, now we know what we're doing let's let's get to it and and that's the way I've faced everything. I, um, I've i seen many different oncologists until I felt like I found the exact right one who was gonna take an aggressive, but, um, you know, a calculated approach to my cancer treatment. And actually I'm working with a team now at this point, That you know, I had some oncologists for my chemo and then I moved over to different oncologists for my surgery and I feel really confident in the way we're going and it's actually going great because when I was first diagnosed there wasn't a lot of hope as there isn't with most stage 4 colon cancer patients but now you know within seven months I had the surgery that they said I would never have and now we're already talking about doing some sort of lung Uh, resection to get rid of the small remaining amount of lung tumors and just keep moving forward and look at the possibility of long-term NED, no evidence of disease, or even the possibility of cure. Because I know the other thing too, is that I feel very positive and sure. And I have great intuition that there is something big coming for all of us facing colorectal cancer. I just think that this is the moment where attention is turning towards it, not just for prevention and screening, but also for treatment for people who are currently going through it.
0: I totally agree, totally agree, I'm right there with you. How long has it been since you were diagnosed?
1: It has been almost 11 months. So a lot has happened in that amount of time.
0: (laughs) My goodness, you're not kidding. And where are you right now in treatment?
1: So I had um at the beginning I had 15 chemo's um and then I got to take a nice long break to prepare to have surgery and I had a colon resection and a complete hysterectomy back in the beginning of January so I am 7 weeks post op today and right now um we are doing a watch and wait I recently had a CT scan that showed about three small tumors in my lungs and my doctor felt that they were small enough and that the lung mets are often slow growing enough that watching them and letting my body recover from surgery, recover from chemo, and become stronger for the possibility of lung resection was a reasonable risk at this point. So I get to enjoy life for another two months without chemo and then I'll have another CT, and we will decide at that point, what's our, our next, uh, move. It's a lot like, you know, playing chess. You got to see what the other person does before you can plan your next move. Right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's a good analogy. Talk to me about the support from your family and your friends.
1: Yeah. So my, my husband's incredibly supportive we uh, met in college and got married young and we went through all that hard stuff of you know starting the family at a young age and all that and uh, have gotten stronger you know over time and this has really made us the strongest we've ever been um and my kids are incredibly resilient i am amazed by them every day i mean part of it is kind of funny and we laugh because you know, we tell them, oh, mom has cancer. This is what cancer is, explain it. And they're like, yes, but what's for dinner, mom? <laughs> so kids <being>
0: kids. part <laughs> of
1: it is how they view me. Yes, they're, they're themselves. And, and they view me as someone who is just going to do this because there's no other option, right? Mom's going to do this because mom does everything. And I love that. And um, the other thing that has really helped me keep looking forward is that I have been the leader of a um, Girl Scout troop for five years now. And uh, telling those girls was actually way more terrifying than telling my own kids because there's the weight of it's someone else's kid. And, you know, at least with my kids, I feel like I can go back and re explain things. But this is one conversation I'm going to have with these, it was 12, nine year old girls. And I told them, and they were like, okay, <laughs> sounds good. Right. No big deal. So, and all the moms that were there are in tears, and the girls are kind of confused about why everyone's so upset, because they call me Miss Jessica. Miss Jessica can do anything, you know? And that's, it's so motivating to see my, the, the way that other people see my strength, makes me see myself as that strong right
0: that's powerful
1: yeah, incredibly powerful, and just changing my whole approach to life being very motivated by love and passion and um, you know investing in friendship and relationships more than I maybe was willing to before because now I don't have the fear of what if I put myself out there and this doesn't go well it's just Everything is, well, give it a try. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. But hope that it will. And I try and put a positive spin on everything every day. And, you know, see the best in ev- in everyone. And it's, it's been freeing. It's been unbelievably freeing. And to just be able to devote yourself to the things that you really want to is... Cancer's the best excuse for that ever. Say <laughs> yes to the things you love, and and you can really live every day.
0: Just a fantastic uh, outlook that I uh, I know our listeners are going to f- really find inspiring, Jessica. And uh, you know, to to know what you've faced, and you know what the future may hold, that you have that. That outlook, that just sound, just I can just tell, just feels just a part of your soul, uh, in in terms of your approach to to life, and uh, it's crystal clear why your friends are calling you Jessica. Yeah, (laughs) I think it's fantastic. Well, I really appreciate you reaching out to me, like I said before, Jessica, and sharing your story. I know a lot of people will learn from your story so certainly there's some things to learn in terms of uh you know advocating for yourself and and, and speaking up when you know something's not right with your body and also just your whole approach to uh, how you're looking at life in through a whole new set of lenses i think is uh, is truly uh, inspiring and I, and I really appreciate you taking the time to share it
1: Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: Where can people find you online?
1: Um, You can find me, I'm just getting into Twitter, so I'm at Tenacious (laughs) Jess, and that is, uh, one of my friends named me Tenacious J for the Colon Cancer Alliance Undie Run, so I'm just getting into that and um, new to this whole world of advocacy, and I'm loving it so far and still getting my feet wet. So
0: Absolutely.
1: We'll see where it takes me from here.
0: Well, I wish you all the best in your continued recovering, recovery, I should say, and uh, and all that the future holds. Just uh, good health, and uh, thank you for taking the time to inspire so many, uh, so many other people, Jessica. I think it's terrific what you do, what you've done.
1: Thank you.
3: You have a good evening.
0: As I mentioned in the top of the show, I had the privilege of attending the Get Your Rear in Gear event in Orlando, Florida. And while I was there, I got to interview both the director of the Get Your Rear in Gear Orlando event, Ashley Johnson, as well as this year's grant recipient, uh, Peggy Burgess. Uh, Peggy is the founder of a nonprofit called the Center for Change. So here are my conversations with both Ashley and Peggy. So I'm here with Ashley Johnson. She is the director of the Orlando Get Your Rear in Gear. This is the fourth year?
4: Yes, this is our fourth year. Our fourth year, our big turnout. It's Despite I, the rain. Despite the rain, I'm just feeling out. so much energy <laughs> because of the people. They came out with great spirits in spite of the rain in spite of what the weather was telling us. And they're just happy as all get out. So I just have so much energy right now and I'm super <laughs> thankful and humbled and everything. <laughs> so.
0: so tell me, how did this all get started and why?
4: Um, it all got started be, way young, long ago, but it, was, uh, it got started because I had a friend that was diagnosed with stage four colon cancer at the age of 27 um, at that time. I was unaware colon cancer was, and uh, it seemed like it was something that people over fifty got. And um, <laughs> we, as a millennial, I just we thought I think we think that we're invincible, and certain things do not apply to us. Um, that was a real eye opener for me, as well for her, and for her mission. She wanted to spread awareness, and I really wanted to continue that with her because she, she unfortunately passed away from colon cancer, but I really wanted to keep it going for her memory. So literally, this is all the strength off of her. This got started all because of her. And I just really want to keep it going because my whole mission, I never want somebody to go through what I had to see my friend go through of not being aware of colon cancer. So here we are.
0: What a selfless thing to put together something so big. Event, you know. What a selfless thing to put together such an amazing event oh, yes. in her in her memory. And you said the turnout far exceeded your expectations. Far
4: exceeded the expectations. Despite all the
0: pouring rain we the had, the pouring this morning. rain we had,
4: amazing. We are you know our presenting sponsor, Orlando Gastroenterology PA. They literally jumped on board and helped me with the promotion and making sure they get the word out because they are very dedicated with the whole mission of awareness and screening. So that helped, that pushed it, and honestly, the community, and they came out in droves and said, you know what? We're here for this cause in spite of the rain. People need to know that we're supporting colon cancer awareness, and I thank the community so much.
0: Well, I think this is incredible. This is my first Get Your Ear in Gear event. I will be back. My wife would have joined me, but she's a little under the weather, but we'll be back next year and Ashley, thank, thank you, you for making no, such honestly, a difference. No, honestly, thank you. I'm community. like tr- I'm
4: like fighting back tears and I'm <laughs> trying to limit myself from talking <laughs> because <laughs> I just really want to hug everybody and tell them that thank well, you. We
0: can hug right here. Yeah. <laughs> thank, you. thank you. Thank you. I'm with Peggy Burgess. She's with the Center for Change here in Orlando, and she is the her organization is the recipient of the grant from this year's Get Your Rear in Gear event taking place in the rain today in Orlando, Florida. Yeah. Peggy, tell me a little bit about the Center for Change.
2: Well, the Center for Change started in 2003. My sister was misdiagnosed with colon cancer at the age of 45. She knew that she was passing, and she by the time she was diagnosed, she was stage 4. But she had such a zest for life, and she really wanted to portray that. What made me start the program is because she had the best of everything. And if she felt lost and out of control, could you imagine what other people felt like that don't know or don't have the knowledge? And I had to sit and I watched that for a long uh, period of time in which she wouldn't even, um, you know, like when you go to your own colleges. She wouldn't talk to her oncologist. I talked to her oncologist. It was like a denial. It really was, although she knew what was happening to her. So it just showed me that people who could be educated, people who could have it all together, can still not have control, or cancer takes control. That's what happened. I felt that. Towards the end, she said, no more chemo. I literally had a fit. I I was furious because it was like I would do anything, anything. But she knew the quality of her life was more important to her. So by the end, you know, by the time she passed, I had made a decision that if she had it all together and she felt like that, that I wanted to make sure that I educated somebody else so that they can have options so that they can know and that prevention that prevention was the key and then especially for african americans who are at a disadvantage that may not have health care that may use the emergency room as their primary care so we're there and we we promote uh, colon cancer and prostate screenings so we do both and then we also, Center for Change also runs the Chronic Disease Self-Management Course for Florida Hospital. We are a recipient of their grant, and we also do it for the state of Florida. And we've been doing it for the state of Florida the Department of Health for, I don't know, like 10, 15 years? Uh-huh. 10, 10, over 10, since 2009.
0: So you, you mentioned in the... Uh... Uh, ceremony a minute ago when Ashley talked about you being the grant recipient, the focus that you have on millennials. Tell us a little oh, bit about yes. that. Uh,
2: when they decided, when we decided to apply, it was because we have, from the beginning, been working with people that's 50 and above. And then when we started seeing the alarming stats for ages uh, 37 to 45 it was unbelievable and now they're doing a lot of research and they're showing that younger people are getting colon cancer at a much higher rate and in fact they're going up 55 and older the incident is going lower so we decided that we will concentrate just on that and what we've done so far is we go out we engage them we have to we know that we have to use incentives to get young people to listen to us we have powerpoints. We try to do activities. We try to go where they are, and so far it's been very, very. It's been very productive.
0: Great. Uh-huh. Well, thank you for the amazing work uh, that you welcome. do. Oh, you're welcome. I'm sure your assistant is looking down with yes, tremendous is. pride about what you what you. The do.
2: Renee's uh, Dream Project. Yeah. Thank it. you again. You're welcome.
0: Welcome to Ask the Doctor, where your questions regarding cancer and cancer treatment are answered by Dr. Tim Cannon. Dr. Cannon is with the Inova Medical Group in Fairfax, Virginia, and he's a board-certified medical oncologist specializing in gastrointestinal cancers. Dr. Cannon, welcome back. Glad to have you on the show as always.
3: It's good to be back. Thanks for having me, Lee.
0: So we've, we've talked about clinical trials, and I think that's a good segue to the next question, and that is, what is immunotherapy, and is that something that's available outside of a clinical trial?
3: Well, that's a great question. Immunotherapy uh, is a broad term, uh, and it describes any treatment that activates your immune system against the cancer. So of course the majority of patients over the last 30 or 40 years have received chemotherapy. And chemotherapy I think of as a chemical that kills fast growing cells, but immunotherapies are treatments that empower or prime your own immune system to kill the cancers. So these can come in many forms. You know, among the earliest forms were vaccines, you know, where you're given a protein that looks sort of like a protein on the surface of the cancer cell, and uh, this teaches your immune system to kill uh, or recognize uh, the cancer that's in your body. Uh, Those have not been as successful in most cases as we have hoped, but there's still promise for them, and they're developing new and better vaccines. Now, uh, even treatments where there are uh, proteins, molecules that mimic a portion of your immune system, uh, like interleukin-2, that would be Considered an immunotherapy also. But in the year 2018, when people say immunotherapy, they're usually now referring to things that you see commercials for on TV, like Opdivo and Keytruda, you know, like the drug that Jimmy Carter's getting. Uh, these are drugs that are an antibody to a protein, in those two cases, a protein called, called PD1, which is involved in the process of hiding the cancer from the immune system. You know, The cancer makes a lot of uh, proteins that help its own survival. And one of those is, is PD-1 or pdl one And uh, the way that uh, it works is that that protein ends up sort of hiding the cancer from the immune system. So when you give an antibody that blocks that protein, suddenly your immune system is more likely to recognize the cancer and kill it. Now, um, these this type of immunotherapy, a PD-1 inhibitor, uh, and there are many others that are related to this, CTLA-4 inhibitors, pdl one inhibitors, LAG-3 inhibitors. Uh, you know, there's other other things coming out that are different, but you know that that um, work in a similar fashion, or the concept is similar. And these work a little better in melanoma and uh, some other cancers, lung cancer and squamous cell cancers a little bit better than they, they do in colon cancer. And so, so while these drugs are FDA approved for melanoma and uh, lung cancer and kidney cancer, they're only approved by the FDA for colon cancer in people who have something called mismatch repair deficiencies, or now the hereditary version of that is called Lynch syndrome. Uh, these are people who uh, have difficulty repairing uh, mismatches in their DNA. And those are the people that sort of create proteins that the immune, that your immune system uh, quickly recognizes as things that aren't supposed to be there. And so uh, in people with that situation with Lynch syndrome or people whose tumors express mismatch repair deficiency, those are the people in whom immunotherapy works better in. And those are the people for whom the FDA has approved this treatment for. And they represent about 15% of colon cancers. Now, for the other 85% of people that aren't eligible to receive those, uh, or at least who the FDA has not approved these agents for, they still have opportunities to to receive immunotherapies through innovative clinical trials. And these trials are all over the place. And they do things to sort of help the immunotherapy work better. In some cases, they're combined with targeted therapies. Sometimes they're combined with chemotherapy. A lot of times they're combined with Uh, radiation therapy, which may sort of uh, help convert the tumor to something that looks more like a mismatch repair deficient tumor. So even if you don't have Lynch syndrome or a mismatch repair deficiency, uh, which is also known as MSI high, uh, even if you're MSI low, you still have opportunities to get these immunotherapies through clinical trials.
0: Very helpful information, Dr. Cannon. Thank you so much.
3: No problem. Thank you.
0: Thanks to our sponsors, the Colon Cancer Coalition and H2ORS for your support. The podcast is a proud supporter of Genie's Blue Angels, providing financial support to those affected by colorectal cancer.